fast, efficient, and affordable business-grade hosting solutions, domain registration, SSL certificates, and more. We also monitor and provide website security and update services, website builds, email hosting, amongst other sensational products. If you have a question about your web page or your presence on the internet in general, no job is too big or too small. Visit our website today, or better yet, contact us at blueoceanwebhosting.com.au and leave your website issues to us. Big ones, little ones, fiddly ones, powerful ones. The ones for the car or the truck, caravan, boat, mobility scooter, solar system. In fact, for any kind of battery, go straight to Battery Central Ipswich. They'll even help you when you know what you need to power but have no idea what'll do the job. Battery Central Ipswich, 280 Brisbane Street, West Ipswich, behind the yellow building. Expert advice, better batteries, best prices, every day. That's Battery Central Ipswich. Welcome to episode 747 of the Aussie Tech Heads. I'm Jason Oakley and this is Will Tompkinson. Hey, Will. Hey, mate. 747, an aeroplane. Yep. I like aeroplanes, Ellie. <laughs> BC then. Nothing happened in 747 BC. We're not in England. Or right, Egypt or maybe Sumeria. I mean, I'm sure stuff happened, but nothing happened here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nothing ever happened here. <laughs> and it still doesn't. Nothing's changed, really. How about uh, yourself? Doing all right? Yeah, not too bad. Although the weather's gone from stupid to absurd. Yep. We've gone from, we've not really had winter, but we've gone from winterish weather, you know, like single digit nights and mid to high 20s days, yep. to high teens nights and mid to high 30 days, <laughs> and then in between the storms, storms have been ridiculous. They're not like just, you know, normally, you know, normally when it's going to rain, you look at the radar, you watch it, it comes across. Yep. You can hear it coming, and you sort of see it, and it starts off, you get a few spits, and it gradually gets heavier and heavier. Now it's been... It's just like, turn the tap on, and turn off. And next day, tap on, tap off. It's like... Do you see the lightning crack over cane fields? Not from here. And laugh and think, this is Australia. We don't have cane fields here. Oh, we did, cane toads. did, like, 100 years ago. Um... Closest cane fields to here would be you're either going to go south to like Evans Head or north to like Bundaberg. There's sort of nothing in between. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's it's um, just so weird. But, and they haven't the normally this time of year we get a lot of electrical storms. Yep, we don't really get much rain. Um, other than one or two, the exceptions being they've that really haven't been electrical. There's yep. been almost no lightning at all in most of them. Ah. Um, I hope no more hail. It's been... Uh, we haven't copped any. Some places have copped smaller hail. Although it's down south, down your way, they had some. Yeah, Coffs Harbour had them about this big. Yeah. <laughs> Huge. So, uh, I mean, the, they're still repairing houses here from last year. Like It was 12, it's 12 and a half months ago. Yep. that we had the massive storms you know last year and the house like two doors, two doors down is just getting their new roof put on like yesterday wow. they started so <laughs> like they haven't caught up from that yet those builders pretty busy well I was talking to um, one of my customers who's a regular but he, he's also working a lot in Springfield Lakes at the moment which is the other suburb that got drilled uh, 12 months ago um, 
And they're telling customers it could be five years. Wow. Before they get to them. And at that point, the houses are going to be torn down and rebuilt because they're going to be water damaged. Um, so basically, they're saying, look, what do you want to do? Do you want us just to just to sell like we'll buy the, the insurance company will basically say look we're going to buy the house off you at this price yep. and you can go somewhere else or you can just hang on for five years and <laughs> we'll rebuild it and that's basically you, what you the stay at are. mum and dad's for five years yeah and and that's basically what the options are it's either rebuild or sell pretty much yep. wow. they've given that's up nice. on repairing the first couple of months the first probably six months they focused on the houses they could repair relatively easily um, but after that point, uh, you know, the water damage is creeping in, mold's creeping in. Like, it's getting to the point where they're, just not, they're not feasible to repair them anymore. Yeah. You know, it's just going to be easier to knock them down and rebuild them. And a lot Jeez. of those houses, are, uh, there's a couple of estates through there. They've got trash that were only 12 months old. Yeah. So yeah. some of those houses are literally brand new. <laughs> <laughs> so, and yeah. some of them were the display homes. So they were absolutely pristine, perfect examples of, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. So Didn't you fun. have someone else to come into the shop this week? Yeah, and I can't remember the name. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> had a couple of visitors from Browns Plains. So thanks for that, guys. You know who you are. Lovely couple come in and drove all the way from Browns Plains to come see me and buy some stuff off me. So that was great. Had a chat for a while. and He listened to the show. And they listened to the show. He listens to it. He, he's always a week behind. By the time, it's like, sounds like Glenn. By the time he I, had, I had that once. So I had to go see a doctor for my week behind. <laughs> um... And yeah, so he's he's uh, no, they they listen to all the time, and my little intro jingle was annoying enough that he finally remembered and came <laughs> in the source. So. They're the ones you remember. That's it. Like so, Joyce Main. Yeah. I mean, that's Joyce Main. National Tiles. Hello. <laughs> this is Frank Walker from National Tiles. And um, but yeah, so that was nice to have it actually. See a couple of our, our listeners, so that was cool. Long time loyal listeners. Yeah, I think they have been for quite a while actually. I know that he was having issues. He sent an email a while back. Um, was having issues with his podcast App. program. Yeah, not um, updating the the podcasts, um, which was kind of weird. But obviously something went wrong, so just uninstalled it, reinstalled it, and fixed that problem. Uh. The only downside of doing that is it doesn't once you've uninstalled the app and reinstalled the app. It doesn't tell you what you've listened to. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, it remembers your subscriptions because obviously yep. it must be handled like at the back end or something. But it doesn't remember what which ones you've listened to. So unless, you've, you know, unless you're relatively up to date, that could be quite painful. Uh, no. <laughs> That's one uh, way to bring you up to date fast. Yeah, I'll just start at episode one and work your way back through it again. <laughs> well, it'd be fine, right? Yeah. <laughs> You get to see how it evolves over the years. So, uh, yeah, or come in. Got a 10% discount for being a listener. So, yep. We've got it's our online store almost functioning and working now. Well, the online store part of it does, but man, Google's painful. <laughs> so, are they what? If you ever decide to have an online store, <laughs> find a template that's Google approved. Yep. Because they want stupid stuff in stupid places for stupid reasons yeah, the, that makes sense the amount of mucking around that we've had to do to get the website it works perfectly fine through the website um, but to make it Google compatible man that's been painful um, 
They want terms of service and returns and stuff on every page. They want payment methods on every page. I'm like, when you're browsing through a site, you don't care. You you don't need that stuff until you get to the checkout. Like, yep, and uh, it's all there at the start. So where do you need it all the way through and including to the end? But, uh, yeah, but anyway. And if so. they could tell you straight off all the things rather than saying, "Hey, we yeah. fixed this." Oh, okay, now you need to do this. Okay, we fixed that. Now you need to do. Well, from the, from the back end, when we submit the site, it gives us a list that says, okay, site submitted. Then you've got to put the header ID. Track, yep. I'm assuming it's a tracker ID so they know what the site is. That goes in the header. Okay, fine. Yep, got that sorted. And then it says, step one, compliance. And then it goes, bang. And they go, oh, you've missed this. So we fix <laughs> that. And it goes, oh, you've missed this. And we fix that. It doesn't tell you what it's looking for. It just goes, step one. And then it eventually puts a checkbox next to that and goes, step two. And you're like, just... Give me a list <laughs> so I can do it all at once. List it all now. Uh, Up front. Painful. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, I talked to EC Weird, who we use as our back end for the shop. I was talking to them about it and they said, well, the problem is it varies depending on what sort of business you are too. So, it's not like they can even template it. Oh. Because if you're a retailer or a wholesaler or a trade or an importer or an exporter or a, um, you know, it, it's a different layout depending on the tile you know if you're a Different mechanic requirements if you're a mechanic or if you whatever so you can't even <laughs> template Standardized. you can't even template it because google wants something different for every industry <laughs> because google uh, yeah <laughs> screw you man <laughs> uh so it's been fun and games but hopefully next couple of weeks that'll that part of it will be working but uh you still buy stuff yeah normal on, on shops works you can go to battery central um ipswitch.com.au slash shop or go to com.au and click on the shop link Take into the shop. Um, all the products are there. You can have a look around if you want. And if you want to know the return policy, there's a big button <laughs> on every point. page. <laughs> and how to, payment methods, which we're going to have to have zip pay to now. Um, <laughs> and, um, Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so you can go there. And if you, all the prices are there. If we don't have shipping integrated yet because um, painful reasons. Yep. Shipping is horrendous and it varies so much that it's just too hard to do at the moment. So, if you do want something shipped, just give us a call and we can work out a freight price. Yep. Uh, and that reminds me, I need to. Huh, I just remembered, I need to contact somebody about shipping tomorrow. Uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, an actual uh, company to to be our logistics. Oh, all right. Uh, to do logistics for us because we use um, uh, Ship It, which is. Kind of an online amalgamator of couriers. Yep. They'll do Fastways, Couriers Please, TNT, Toll, all that sort of stuff. They amalgamate all into one and they give you the best quote and whatever. But they don't do... It's only um, couriers. It's not common carrier or dangerous goods or all that stuff that we need as well. But I've just found another uh, company who will manage the logistics of dangerous goods and stuff like that. So we'll actually be able to get like quotes for shipping normal batteries and stuff now which is a minor miracle because they've only been trying for like five years to get that organized <laughs> hooray <laughs> better late than never yes and uh, so yeah so it's all fun and games at the moment and just trying to plot along a bit and and uh, yeah so I'm trying to get a safe space set up at work where I can do videos and inform- information stuff and pro- you know all right. Set up products and how things work and what does what and green screen the wall. 
And um, what wall? It's a, it's a, I'm looking out the window to the city. There's no wall. What are you talking about? No, in your shop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't oh, know. you are in your shop yeah, right so now in front of the city. Yeah, exactly. And so am I. <laughs> Just happens to be the same shop, different city. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's all happening slowly, slowly and slowly. Sounds good. Hmm. You probably uh, think our Patreon and stuff. Yeah, Patreons and our PayPalers and our coffees, our coffees and mm, coffee. I can go actually. Let, all right, I'm going to stop the show and go. go. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it's already late enough. Although I would continue the show. It's not that late for you. <laughs> yeah, I know. It'll be midnight before I finish this uh, round. <laughs> I keep forgetting about the whole time difference thing. Yeah. yeah. I was seeing on Slashdot, they were talking about a lot of American states are really, really thinking hard about completely banning daylight savings altogether everywhere. Mm. It's just a pain. Well, some go forward, some go back, some like change. It's like half. Australia, you got one hour this way and this one's the same state and then that's half an hour for some reason and then that's two three hours. hours. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing in America. Like, And there's some states that are in the same line don't do it so you can have time discrepancies even though they're on the same time platform yep. and <laughs> yeah i honestly it's just a i mean i i understand why they introduced it but with yep. the way society functions these days it's almost a mute point yeah like it, it really doesn't the idea was you get home an hour earlier so you had an extra hour of daylight to do stuff yeah but in reality i mean <sighs> It, it doesn't really... But people have got two-hour commute times well, anyway because they have to live out the Blue Mountains because they can't afford to live in the city, then... Yeah, well, I mean... By the time you get home... Yeah, you know, and it only really applies if you're on the coast between Brisbane and Sydney. If you're yeah. north of Brisbane or south of Sydney, you get twilight till 10 o'clock of a night anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, but... my mum always wanted to... When I was lived in Melbourne for a couple of years and... My daughter had a friend over for the afternoon. She said, I'm just going to walk him back home, Dad. I was like, okay. And it was like 9 o'clock at night. He only lived yeah. like three houses down the road. Mum rang up. She's like, oh, can I talk to your daughter? And I was like, oh, she's just walking a friend home. But it's dark. <laughs> I said, not here. It's not. not here, yeah. You think it was like 3 in the afternoon as it is in the mid-north coast compared to down here. It's still daylight. Yeah. What? Yeah, I know. I remember when I was living down in uh, Swan Hill. Um yeah. You could sit outside and read a book at 10 o'clock of a night in the middle of summer. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, but, and, and it was light at, you know, three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You know, so daylight savings are relevant. Like, it's not going to make any difference <laughs> to that, that, that proposition, you know. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't think, you know, and the cows don't care. I mean, it's not like, you know, farmers, the ones who actually, re, you know, work, um, what am I trying to say? The ones who you would think, the daylight would make a difference to like farmers for example where they're milking mm. cows they're getting cows in the morning and afternoon so they do double milk shifts the cows don't know what time it is they can't tell the time they yeah. just want a 12 hour slot here and a 12 hour slot here they don't care yep they'll turn up <laughs> yeah you know they don't care if it's dark or if it's light they just, they just want to be milked you know so yeah it was but may, of... maybe your solar panels won't charge properly if if you change, get rid of daylight savings that's how it works right although what is it you and i know you're being <laughs> smart but you kind of actually almost touch on a point there but the peak time 
obviously in a peak power period, if you're paying for your power, depending on who you're with, but someone like Amber, you pay as a power, you know, on peak time, like you pay more than, than off peak, you know. Yeah. Um, and then when you do have daylight saving, that can actually help you because it can push the time frame back an hour. So you actually, your panels actually eat into that peak period of time more. So you actually do pay less. So that, that's about <laughs> the only situation I can think that it's actually beneficial. <laughs> I had to change away from them too. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't working for me. If I had a battery like, like your setup you've got, it, they would have been perfect. Yeah. Um, because I didn't have a battery, I was generating so much solar but not getting anything back in return for it. Yeah. So I really needed a battery set up for that, which is a little disappointing because they're really, don't get me wrong, a fantastic company. I love, I love everything I do and what they're, what they're about, but unfortunately that particular setup just wasn't suitable for me. Yeah. Um, so I changed to, who did I change to? Oh, what's the name? <laughs> <laughs> you, sh- you should know this better than I do. Um, I changed to um, <laughs> another company. Oh, there's Amber saying oh, I've moved away from them. That's helpful. Um, oh, there you go. Alinta. Alin- uh, no, not Alinta. Alicia. Alicia? You're telling a story. Apparently. Alice. Yeah. E. E L Y S I A N Elysium Elysium Energy. Um, they have a high, well, not super high. It's eight cent per kilowatt uh, feeding tariff for solar. Oh yeah. But they don't have the standard five kilowatt restrictions that most of them have. So you can output as much as you want. So well, you can output as much as you want up to one hundred and fifty kilowatts a month. Right. And I do between ninety and one hundred and ten. Yeah, and generally I only get paid for like the first thirty to forty, and most with most other people. So, um, so yeah, you pay eighty dollars a month flat fee, which gets you two hundred kilowatts of power. Gets you, um, sorry, gets two hundred fifty kilowatts of usable power. Gets you one hundred and fifty peak and a hundred off peak. Yep, and that's default in the eighty dollars, and that's all you pay. And then you pay your feeding tariff. So if you can feed in eighty or ninety kilowatts, you can actually offset that that tariff. So and they got nine cents. Is it nine? Yeah, something like that. Yep. They got a couple of different plans depending on nine for everybody except Victoria that gets ten, of course. No, in Queensland, yeah. Um, what was interesting though, if you're still on the was it fifty cent, the old fifty cent tariff. Yeah. If you're still on that, they would honour that as well as give you the eight cents on top of that. Oh, jeez. Yeah. That's nice. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> but um, so we'll switch to those and see how that how that pans out. But fingers uh, crossed. Good luck. Yeah, they seem. It's not off to a fantastic start, I must admit, because I can't log on to my web page back end. Oh. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't let me in. And when you go click on. Enter your email address to receive your recovery password. You enter your email address and it goes, we can't find your email address. Oh. <laughs> that I followed from the email that they sent that me. That they sent. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah, about that. <laughs> few bugs to iron out. Yes. Do we do some news? 
Edwienko intends to take as many as 6,000 orders for upgrades from fibre to the node to fibre to the premises this month as its $2.9 billion program shifts into a trial mode. We've confirmed that uh, internet retailers will be able to place orders for around 6,000 premises from two days ago. The trial will now uh, also be extended through until March 14 next year and encompass around 25,000 premises. The exact number of fibre to the node premises that are converted to full fibre will demand how many of the 25,000 trial spots are filled. Chief Operating Officer Catherine Dyer said that the NBN Co had so far rolled out 3,100 kilometres of new fibre in neighbourhoods around the country under the upgrade program. This is enough to ultimately serve up to 17,000 premises in parts of metro metropolitan and regional New South Wales, Queensland and South Australia. Once the trial period finishes in March 2022, she said that NBN Co would open up orders from all retail providers. It's unclear which suburbs and internet providers are participating in the trial phase. She urged customers to individually sign up for updates on the NBN Co website. The release of the trial numbers coincided with another 200,000 premises being added to the fibre upgrade designs. Yeah, I was looking at the rollout list. It's an interesting um, interesting list. Poor Victoria. Yeah. Grampians. And uh, in, 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 in specifically, the Grampians... Aspley. Uh, just that. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's all. That's um, it's like in Tasmania. In northern Tasmania, yep. Ed Coombe Beach. That's it. That's it. That's, North, must be a cool place to live. All of North Queensland, Matt Julian. You know where a lot of politicians <laughs> live in these Yeah, places. exactly. That's right. <laughs> South Queensland, you're looking at uh, East Greenmount, uh, Mil Milmarin. Really? Milmarin? Okay, uh, Clontarf and Nobby, which is like these are in the middle of nowhere. These places, yep. uh, New South Wales, Mid North Coast, uh, Bunbury, Woolgooga, Woolgooga, uh, Marshdale, Barrington, Stratford, New England is Wagaratta, Wollongarra rather, not Wagaratta, uh, Riverine, uh, Takata, Gumley, Gumley, uh, Aura, and Afferton, mm -hmm. uh, South Australia. Uh, Yankalila? Mm. <laughs> flu, the flu, uh, I'm guessing it's a native name. It's Flu Ryu Peninsula, Yankalila. Limestone Coast, uh, Mirac, Portman, McGonagall, Tapina, uh, Warralong, Yale, Lucendale, and Kybalite. Yeah. So they're very. <laughs> No, if you go well, I, I googled a few of these, not all of them, but they're, they're really like middle of nowhere. I mean, I kind of get it because the rural's been suffering for a while. Yeah, but it's kind of strange that you would specifically pick that place and that place and that place. You know what I mean? Why not pick this place and this, this place area. and this place and this place <laughs> and this place? Like it's just like I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's really weird, but yeah. So apparently they're rolling out. Um. As of today, NBN Co.'s fixed wireless rollout covers more than 114,000 premises with more than 18,200 currently connected. Uh-huh. So it covers potentially 114,000 premises. Yep. But in reality, 18,000. Close enough. Ten <laughs> percent. Yeah, uh. um, and the other thing I was reading, uh, I think we touched on last week, was that 
Telstra is offering 4G and and so is um, Aussie Broadband offering 4G for you know a dollar or free or whatever. But you read the the fine print on that, and it was quite interesting. It says speeds of up to whatever their speed was, yeah, if less than X amount of connections per tower per tower. Speeds yep. of up to this, if this many connections, <laughs> speeds up to this. So, so all these speeds dropping, the more people that are connecting. <laughs> and they gave uh, an example of like Springfield, because Springfield Lakes, which is the fastest growing district in Southeast Queensland, or in most of Australia, like it's nuts, it's huge, does not have NBN. Wow. Still. It, it's it's still, pretty new, isn't it, though? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's still, under, like, they're literally still building. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it, it has ADSL. I, I think some of the brand new ones, like literally in the last year that have gone in, have NBN. Yep. But prior to that, it's all ADSL. <laughs> um, and there's no phone towers. Like there's almost no phone phone signal anywhere, so you can't wow. even get 4G. Jeez, like it's absolutely horrendous. So they're not even you know, like places like that where there's there's literally several hundred thousand people living in these in this area. Yeah, there's no internet. You need satellite. <laughs> you know, like, well, I would imagine that that would be quite popular. But the thing is, because you do get ADSL, you don't get this kind of satellite. Yeah. Because you do have a form of internet. So you can get satellite, but you've got to pay the full price for it. Jeez. It's a rip-off. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of bizarre. I don't really... I can't... I still can't believe all these years later. The dumb part is you got Green Bank on one side of it, Brown's Plains on the other side, um, and then you kind of got, you know, Ipswich at the top end. It's surrounded by all these areas, and all of those have NBN. Yeah, but just not the one in the middle. <laughs> Springfield Lakes, which is <laughs> the largest population density and the largest population per in the area, doesn't. No. Uh, and newer than all these suburbs. Yeah, it's so bizarre. But uh, speaking of um, bizarre, because why not, right? Me? Yeah. Some <laughs> say yes, some say no. <laughs> um, so I don't know how many people remember this. This goes back 20 years. This goes back? Yes, yeah, it goes back 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> so Lenny's Foundation... Um, I don't know, I don't know how <laughs> how he's looking. So there was there was basically the, the SCO. They're called now, but back in the day they were the Linux Foundation. Um, and they they had a case bought before IBM for um. Because, you know, when back then Linux was, IBM was trying to do uh, OS2 Warp, effectively. They kind of talk, they kind of took Unix and Linux and made their own take on it and, like, shafted Red Hat, who was supposed to be their official, uh, that's kind of where Red Hat got their, their big boost from because it was supposed to do all their commercial stuff oh. and... It's a very long, complicated, and drawn-out saga. Um, and I won't go into too much depth. There's a whole lot of backstory and a whole lot of intertwining. 
bits and pieces and <laughs> um but basically yeah 20 years ago this lawsuit got started from effectively linux versus ibm yep um about copyright infringements predominantly that's that's basically what it started um the, the so IBM obviously just kept throwing money at it. The parties agreed to resolve all disputes between them for a payment to the trustee, which is SCO, on the behalf of the estates of IBM for $14.5 million, effectively. Wow. Um, <clears throat> so that's basically goes to Red Hat, more or less, these days. That's kind of the, the child of the SCO. But... Um, it started in 2011 like it would have cost them that much SCO actually went bankrupt effectively um, because of this <laughs> you know uh, and the worst part about it is I guess um, because they went bankrupt and don't really hold the licensing to the original software that was originally copied without permission and that the original lawsuit was on, They, even though they technically awarded the win to SCO, IBM paid them $14.5 million, but they got all the rights to the software that they originally... No. <laughs> <laughs> ...that wow. the original lawsuit was about, so... <laughs> It, it it was right 20 years ago was back when I was you know I was actually really into you know, back in 2011 I was really into the um, the sort of open source Linux side of it back then I can't remember this happening and yeah so it was supposed to be like Red Hat was like after OS2 Warp failed for IBM then they sort of went more commercial and got away from residential they wanted a commercial I guess back end and they decided that Red Hat was going to be the one for them and then they kind of screwed over Red Hat and um, then they kind of had set their sights on FreeBSD and it got super messy and then um, I think it was called Sinew something like that the company from memory it's like X-I-N-U-O-S or something oh. um, they um, kind of took over the management of the court case at one point and they were after IBM for a, off the top of my head it was because FreeBSD IBM was trying to acquire FreeBSD which would have given them like the back end to Red Hat and all this other stuff and it was like a 30 billion dollar sale or something <laughs> <laughs> and, it just oh. been cheaper and easier just to buy the software from SCO in the first place but it just it just goes to show you how convoluted this stuff can get. I remember back in the, I want to say it was the late eighties or the early nineties. Yep. Um, and I can't remember. I, I'm not. I don't have the reference material in front of me. I can't remember which way around it was. An Apple versus IBM. Yep. Uh, Apple versus Windows. And one way or the other, there was something happened in this court case, and they were told that they had to, um pay for damages and the winning side said well no don't worry about paying us 
we just want you to run a full page ad in every newspaper in the world with the words we're sorry written on it (laughs) (laughs) and like if they had have paid like say it was ibm had to pay apple i don't know which way around it was or microsoft had to pay apple but say it was i don't know 10 million dollar you know settlement Yep. It costs them like $50 million to run these ads in all these newspapers. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I'm like, that's the way you settle an argument. <laughs> you know, so. But yeah, this is my what turned out to be one of the most convoluted, twisty, turny, windy. <laughs> Timey, wimey. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 a, I mean, it's, if you want to really get intertwined into what happened back in the, you know, this, as I said, this was. This lawsuit happened in 2011, but it's... It was really big, like too. five, eight, ten years prior to that is when all this stuff started. Like, 2000-ish, late 90s, early 2000s is when it all went down. Yep. And took them t- it took them five or six years or more, probably ten years, to get the lawsuit underway. And then the lawsuit's gone for... Th- so, this is really like a 40-year saga. <laughs> <laughs> or a 30-year saga. Like, it, it's pretty intense, really. Yeah. Uh, Kept the lawyers employed. Oh, yeah, you know. They made um, bank. I'm sure they hadn't, you know. They weren't in any rush to settle. Well, obviously. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> so, but it is good if you, if you, yeah, look, if you have a rainy Saturday afternoon and you want to really see how the tech industry effectively shot itself in the foot for 10 years, and it's not just these guys, like, it was a thing. Like, in the late 90s, early 2000s, every company was tripping over every other company to get in their own way. Like, that's all that was happening. Nobody was developing. Nobody was engineering, designing, creating. Everybody was literally copying everybody else so blatantly and so obviously. And I, I remember reading cases and stories of terms and conditions and readme files that hadn't even had the other company's names taken out of them. They just copy and pasted. <laughs> literally copy and pasting the whole thing. You know, and it's like, and this is where, this was the whole, I guess, prior to, two, or prior to, I guess, mid-90s, you pretty much had shareware and paid software. Yep. There was, there was a technically open source and free, but... Realistically, you had shareware, which was a cut-down, crippled version of a file, um, and then the full version, which is the paid version. Like that—that that was pretty much all there was. Yeah. This was the the start of the freeware, the open source, the public license stuff. The <laughs> shareware disappeared. Like you don't hear a shareware anymore. Like it it, no. it doesn't exist. At best, you have freeware, um, which is like TeamViewer, for example, where it's free to use for private and then paid if it's commercial application. WinZip. No, WinRAR. WinRAR, yeah. <laughs> WinRAR. I think it's still shareware because I just haven't updated the splash screen. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but then you have, um, you know, freeware and open source and all these other things and they kind of all come about because of this sort of litigation because shareware was such a, an open source was such a broad thing that they hadn't really nailed down yet. Yeah. And as plus it was really the start of the the internet as far as the end consumer goes. Prior to that, it wasn't really that much of an issue because for somebody who had to go to a swap meet or had to go to a friend's place to copy like it was a lot of effort to copy 
software. Yeah. It wasn't a 30-second job. And even in the early 2000s with this, how slow the internet was, it, for the most part, anything larger than a couple hundred meg stayed clear of being copied just because it was so painful. Unless you got like uh, LimeWire or eDonkey or... <laughs> yeah, but even then, most people didn't get dial-up until mid-2000s. Uh, yeah. didn't get, most people had dial-up until well in mid-2000s and then ADSL one, which for a lot of people wasn't any faster than dial-up anyway. And we got three gigs a month from Telstra. Well, my original plan when I started up here was 850 meg was the first wow. plan I was on and that was on the dial-up and then we went to ADSL and I think it was a two gig plan. I'm like, who's going to use two? And it was actually, it wasn't a problem because you physically couldn't use two gig. Yeah, you actually couldn't download enough stuff to use two gig. Um, but when I was in Melbourne, the funny thing is, when I was in Melbourne in like '98, '99, 2000, we had 10 meg cable. Yeah, and we had like a 50 gig plan, <laughs> so <laughs> it, it was available apparently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then sort of you know. People started doing workarounds, like we discovered that our university would kick us off after an hour and 15 minutes, and it took an hour and 10 minutes to download a floppy. So we put like Quake 2 on the university, or Quake on the university servers and broke it up into like 20 floppy files. Yep. And so we could download a floppy, well, we'd go to the library, log on to the university's servers and download a floppy for (laughs) the exact like an hour and 10, and then... That the uni, the connection had booted us off, you know. So. But um, yeah, so it's 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 actually quite a, a uh, important piece of history, as much as it's also the dumbest thing in the world you've ever heard of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Zip Charge has launched a new type of charging product for EVs that might be able to convince people worried about range anxiety to switch from gas vehicles. The British startup has introduced a power bank for EVs called Zip Charge Go at the COP26 Climate Summit. It's about the size of a suitcase and weighs around 50 pounds. Plus, it has wheels and a retractable handle, so users can put it in their trunk and easily take it out when they need to charge. According to the company, the Go can provide up to 20 miles of range after being plugged into the car for 30 minutes. A higher capacity version will be available to provide an EV up to 40 miles of charge. The device works with any plug-in hybrid or EV with a Type 2 socket and can charge the vehicle to its full capacity between 30 minutes to an hour. Charging up the device itself is easy as plugging it into any socket and users will be able to control and monitor it through an app where they can schedule future charges during off-peak hours for cheaper costs. While range anxiety is becoming less of an issue these days, it's still keeping those on the fence from making the leap. A company called GoGoRo developed hot-swappable battery technology for scooters to address the problem, but batteries in electric cars typically can't be swapped out. Spark Charge is a portable EV charging system called Roadie, but it's not as nearly as easy to carry around as the Go. That said, the Zip, Zip Charge Go isn't available yet. According to Inside EVs, the startup plans to release a 4 kilowatt hour and 8 kilowatt hour version, as well as to start deliveries in the fourth quarter of 2022. It can be leased for at least £49 or US $69 per month, though it will also be available for purchase to EV owners who don't mind paying for one and to businesses like hotels that don't have installed charging facilities. While Zip Charge is yet to reveal a price for it, the Sunday Times driving section says the company aims to sell it for around the same cost as a 7.2 kilowatt home charging port installation. 
So I'm just doing some quick maths here. Five, five Ks per kilowatt. What it says, four kilowatt. So it's the eh? average EV, it's only going to. I don't know. Well, their numbers are well messed up because the standard twenty-four. Uh, so one hundred and twenty Ks divided by twenty-four kilowatt battery pack is only five. Five Ks per kilowatt. So if they're saying it's a twenty kilowatt pack, do they say a small one or do they say forty? Um, where was that? Can, it just says uh, up to forty miles of range or twenty miles of range. Oh, they didn't have the kilowatt pack size. Well, it said uh, you can get a four kilowatt four version kilowatt. or an eight kilowatt version. So the four kilowatt one's going to give you twenty Ks. Uh, in an hour, which is not going through do through a Type Two because a Type Two connector can only deliver um, about three k's an hour. So it's going to take it's so it's going to take if you're using a Type Two connector. Uh, oh no, sorry, yeah, that'll go to that'll go to three kilowatts. No, that'll only do three kilowatts an hour, which is means to use that pack it's going to take well three an hour an hour and a half to empty that pack to yep. go 20ks oh <laughs> that's useless yeah um at a, a two kilowatt jenny would do a better job of that um stick that in the maybe back instead. a heck of a lot cheaper <laughs> but ranging are and uh, Here's the thing. Range anxiety is not what it used to be. Yeah. Um, we have our primary vehicle now, uh, which I never thought it would be. I always thought it would just be our runaround, but it's turned into our primary vehicle, is actually um, the Nissan ENV200, which we have which we got. And it's... We got the Gen 1, which is a Gen 2 Nissan Leaf, so it's only a 24-kilowatt battery pack, so it's only 130k range at at best like in reality it's about 110 if you use the aircon and or heater and stuff like that but you can do 100 i've done 125 in it um being careful and that's our daily driver now um range anxiety is not for the first month you own it yes you're constantly double checking yourself and checking your figures and checking your destination and running numbers through your head and making sure that it is what you think you can do. Um, but after you, especially if you've got regular routes, once you've been doing it for, for a month or so, it uh, you soon figure out what you can and can't do. Um, yeah. And there's nowhere here, like, like, I've got, as long as I've got a minimum 20% in my battery pack, I can get from here to work or here to a fast charger. Yep. Um, and I don't even have a charger at home. I, I can put one in, but my charger that I bought to have at home, I end up leaving at work and I just charge the car during the day. Now, if I know we're planning on going somewhere on the weekend, on the Friday afternoon, I'll unplug it because it just plugs into a standard 15 amp socket. Yep. I'll unplug it and I'll chuck it in the back of the back of the van just in case we go somewhere and I do need it. And I've got a 50 meter extension lead with a 10 amp reducer like... I do have plan B. Yep. Um, but there's there's 
I haven't needed to do it yet. Um, and something like that, it's really, you know, it's 20Ks. If if you're 20K short of a destination, you, you've got bigger problems. Like, you know what I mean? Like, plan better. <laughs> well, yeah. If the thing is, okay, if you're relying on that pack to get the extra 20Ks, well, that pack's now empty. So now you've got to charge the car and you've got to charge that pack for wherever you're going because you need that to get you the next 20 Ks. Yeah. <laughs> so I I don't know. I don't think that's... Uh, look, uh, don't get me wrong. It's not a horrible idea, uh, especially renting it. I, I like that idea instead of having to purchase it. Yeah. I just don't see that being the solution. Um Maybe the bigger pack with the, maybe the bigger pack with the forty k range, and even then, I mean, that's going to take. Well, if it takes an hour and a half to do twenty, it's going to take three hours to charge, to give you forty k's. Um, I can see it being handy. Uh, if you're in an area that's prone to blackouts or something like that, then it'd be a good backup. But it's definitely something I wouldn't want to rely on. I wouldn't be advertising it as a range extender or alleviating range anxiety. Um, it's like carrying a jerry can in your boot. Yep. You know, it's the sort of thing that you really hope you never use, but it's there if you have to, but you don't really want to because it's going to cause more problems than it solves. <laughs> it says it um, provides up to 20 miles of range after being plugged in for 30 minutes. Um, the device works. can charge a vehicle to its full capacity between 30 minutes to an hour. I think that means the full capacity of the pack. Uh, yeah, because the pack's only four. Well, it says to charge that vehicle to its full capacity. Yeah, that's worded wrong. Because you've got a thing, like, I've got one of the, in my vehicle, there's only, like, the IMEV, and there's only a couple of vehicles that have a smaller pack than mine. Yep. And mine's only a 24-kilowatt pack, pack with 18 kilowatts usable. So if that's a four kilowatt pack, it's only three usable. Realistically, three and a half maybe, unless they mean it's a four usable, which would make it a five kilowatt pack. But you do they run the numbers on it, and yeah, it's it's not. I think they're using, and this is here's the one thing that annoys me about the way they advertise electric vehicles. They give you so when you buy a petrol car, they ha they all have MCAT ratings, and they all have. Um, standardized fuel consumption ratings all right so and everybody knows that that that's not real world in so far as most people won't really get that but it's a it's a good it's a guide that everybody uses with the same metrics yeah so if it says your car gets six liters per 100 k's that's absolute best so you can go okay it's probably going to get seven yep or ten depending on how much it's loaded up an EV goes, okay, so you have, in the case of my vehicle, it was advertised originally as having um, a 75-mile range or an 80-mile range, which is 140-ish, 145K, something like that. Um, it doesn't. It, the absolute maximum it will ever get is 120 k's yep. but the 145 comes about because 
they use the same calculations and try to convert it as they do with a petrol vehicle. They're not actually tested. They go, we estimate with drag coefficients and electric motor efficiencies and the size of the battery pack. Equivalent. This is how far you will travel per kilowatt of energy consumed. Yeah. They don't actually have a real world test for that. Mm. And in the case of the van, my biggest issue is an aerodynamically limited. Once you go over 80 kilometers an hour, you actually feel the wind resistance on the front of the car because it's a van. It's not a car. Yep. The same car with the same size pack, yes, it does 145 Ks, but the van only does 120. You can't see the same. <laughs> so this is the thing. So that pack for me is only going to give me 20 Ks, absolute maximum range. Yep. Um, but if it's a Tesla that's super efficient and super, you know, that same four kilowatts that's given me 20 k's has probably given them you know 35 yeah you know <laughs> but at the same time the tesla does 600 k's on a charge and mine does 120 yeah. so, so. <laughs> what's your market here you shouldn't be needing it if you've got a tesla because you're traveling so far anyway yeah and if you've got a vehicle like mine it's effectively useless so i, I don't you see what i mean <laughs> like, yeah. i'm not saying it's not a good idea i'm just saying i don't really understand like yeah, kind the of, solution looking for a problem. Yeah, exactly. It, it's kind of a... It, That's why the Segway died. Yeah, well, actually, uh, Xiaomi's doing them now. Oh. <laughs> nah, so popular. Uh, yeah, that's the whole other story, but they, they got real popular again. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, and that's it. Like, especially if everybody's supposed to be going to electric cars in the next X amount of years, yep. everywhere you park is going to have a charge point. Like, multiple and uh, as the case in most major cities and particularly up the the coast of australia at the moment there is an abundance of charge points you head out my way there's not there's one at ipswich there's one at springfield there's supposed to be one at ripley but i can't find it one um, at your office well that's my private one <laughs> uh there's one at um about halfway to toowoomba and there's four or five at toowoomba Yep. But, you know, they're 60, 70 k's apart. So you've got to, in my case, I've got to put a little bit of preparation into making sure I've topped off at the right point before I go to the next point. Yeah. But in the city, you don't have that problem. There's literally a, a charging station every 100 meters. Right. You know, and like that's what I'm saying. Like, they're, they're, especially if you look at the ad for this, they're advertising in a, in a city area. Yeah. That, that's like the least place you're ever going to use it. <laughs> You don't need it there. And the yeah. other thing you've got to consider too, they make it look easy, but that's got to be, if that's five kilowatts of power in there, that thing's got to weigh 40 or 50 kilos. Like They don't show you him lifting it. They show you him wheeling it, and then after he's lifted it, they don't show you him actually lifting it. It says uh, 50 pounds. 50 pounds, 25 kilos for the four kilowatt. Then you've got to add the cable to that because that doesn't have the cable with it. Uh-huh. That that five meter cable it weighs nearly twenty kilos. Trust me, I've got one. <laughs> um, so yeah, so twenty five kilos for that. You know, ten fifteen kilos for the cable. Grandma's not going to do it. Well, no. Plus, you got to remember too. This is in an EV. Weight is your enemy. Yeah. So you've added, you know, fifty kilos to the back of the vehicle. So reduce how, your range. Have you reduced your range by 10Ks? <laughs> that if you didn't have that weight, you wouldn't need the pack? Yeah. 
So I don't know. Crazy. It's that just seems yeah. As you said, it, it's a solution looking for a problem. I think. Um, I think something like this will become uh, an option, but I just don't think we're there yet. Yeah. I think I did see one. And I know people are going to yell at me for this, but I did see one that was hydrogen powered um, because you can store you can store it um, ready to ready to use. You can store it, have it sitting there and activate it when you want to use it. And it was something like twenty kilowatts, 20, 20 kilowatt hours. Like it was a decent amount of charge in a pack about the same size as that. Yep. You couldn't rent it; you can only purchase it, and it was like a two thousand dollar purchase. But it was literally like a full charge for some vehicles. So, um, It'd be worthwhile. It might have been a way to go. I don't know. The, the, but as I said, range anxiety is not that much of a big deal once you get the hang of it. It's. I mean, you've got to manage the petrol in your car. Yeah. And if everything, anything like me, you you never got more than twenty bucks in the car anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're always got range anxiety when you try every time I jump in the car anyway. <laughs> so. You're like that person who said that they don't care about the petrol price going up and down all the time because they always only put in twenty dollars. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I, I just actually well, I still have the, the, the Navara. I'm trying to sell it at the moment, but I still have it. Um and I jumped in the other day to move it and the fuel I turned the key on and the fuel gauge went backwards. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay. I might have to put some fuel in. <laughs> wow! So I know the fuel gauge can go to there before it stops. <laughs> so, what's your next one? AMD has said it's one Meta Platforms as a data center chip customer, cementing some of its gains against Intel. It's also announced a range of new chips aimed at taking on larger rivals such as NVIDIA in supercomputing markets, as well as smaller competitors, including Ampere computing in the cloud computing market. After years of trailing the much larger Intel in the market for, oh, trailing the much larger Intel in the market for x86 processor chips, AMD has steadily gained market share since 2017 when a comeback plan spearheaded by Chief Executive Lisa Su Put the company on course to its present position of having faster chips than Intel. AMD now has nearly a quarter of the market for x86 chips, according to Mercury Research. After securing Meta, the company formerly known as Facebook, as a customer, AMD now has deals in place with many of Intel's largest customers. It also has deals with Google Cloud, Amazon Web Services, and Microsoft Azure. But AMD announced plans to take on rivals beyond Intel. The company announced a chip called the MI200, which is an accelerator designed to speed up certain tasks like machine learning and artificial intelligence. The new AMD chip is designed to take on NVIDIA's A100 chip, which along with other chips designed to speed up artificial intelligence has helped make NVIDIA the most valuable US listed semiconductor company. AMD said the Oak Ridge National Laboratory Laboratory in Tennessee will use the new chip in its Frontier supercomputing system. AMD also took aim at smaller rivals. The company announced a new central processor called Bergamo that will ship in the first half of 2023. The Bergamo chip will have 128 computing cores, which are useful for cloud computing companies that rent out their chips on a core-by-core -core basis to outside customers. 
Ampere Computing, a startup founded by former Intel executives, is pursuing <laughs> a similar high core count strategy. And this year signed up Oracle's cloud service as a customer. Well, we've got a Threadripper, which is 64 cores. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, why not, this right? be 128. And it's all on the, is it the 3 nanometer or the 2 nanometer or whatever? It's like really, it's... Oh, right. The, the, they don't have that here. Yeah, the, the chipset's physically smaller than a Threadripper with 64 cores. <laughs> so, which is good for heat dissipation because AMD's never exactly been efficient about removing heat. Yeah. <laughs> That's one thing I'll say. I, I love AMD to death, always have. But damn if they aren't a hot chip. Yeah. You know, um, you've got to have, like, I've got a, the... I like hot chips. The system I've got at work is a old AMD um, AM, AM2 uh, 8-core um 4200 or something yeah and sitting there at idle at like one percent usage with a massive he's got a massive big heat sink and fan on it and it sits there at like 65 degrees (laughs) (laughs) they keep you warm in winter oh so much wasted i mean they're a whatever they are 45 watt chip and they're dissipating about 30 watts of heat (laughs) (laughs) so hopefully that this might help that Super a little efficient. bit. Super um, efficient. But uh, I do love the fact that they've continually, like, it's so funny. And I just realized in this picture that this, she's wearing a mask, but anyway. Um, it's so funny that, like, everyone knocks, especially the diehards, but everyone knocks AMD, you know, the processors, oh, they're not as good and they're not as quick and they're not, they don't do this and they don't do that. But, in like ninety five percent of real world tasks, they're a faster chip than the Intel. Yeah. Yes, there's a couple of things that Intel do, especially if something is um, Windows it, eleven. Y- y- well, yeah, <laughs> something is built specifically for an Intel chip. Because remember they did that with XP. That was the whole, you know, the whole thing with Windows XP. I remember going to the launch and they had a. They're trying to they're trying to convince people that. It would load. It was optimized for Intel, and they had a. I can't remember what it was. I think at the time it was the AMD eight fifty dog chip that was just that that was a bad chip. It really was. It was the AMD eight fifty versus I think it was the Intel, like. It would have been the Pentium two. Yep. I, think, I think it was the flip chip, like a Pentium 2 MMX, you know, 850 or something. And, you know, they supposedly both had, you know, 128 mega RAM and everything else is supposed to be the same. And they swore black and blue. It was faster on the Intel chip every time. And so they had them on reboot cycles. And, yeah, the Intel one loaded up faster. But you go into the AMD one, into the BIOS, and you tweak a couple of settings in the BIOS, and then suddenly it was booting twice as fast as the Intel one. Oh, because they, <laughs> whilst it might have been in, it might have been optimized for Intel, the AMD chip at the same clock speed, once you opened it up and didn't restrict it in the BIOS, was just such a fast chip it would just outpace it. <laughs> You know, like I remember we and the the, the the Microsoft reps just sitting there going like, 
what, what, what do you want me to do? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I can only tell you what I've been told. Yeah. <laughs> so, but um, no, I think it's good. I'm, I'm not complaining that AMD is finally getting a foothold in the commercial sector. It makes sense, so and as I said, like if you're if you're Amazon hiring out an S2 workstation, and you've got one processor that's got 128 cores on it, and one of those cores, you know, they're a 4.8 gig core or something, yeah. like unless you're doing graphic design or mass amounts of calculation, that's heaps for a standard you know, workstation. Yeah. <laughs> It's all you need. You know? And especially when you're dealing a server board, it's got 128 cores on it, but the thing can also have like 12 terabytes of RAM installed. So, you know, you can allocate, you know, you can allocate 16 gig of RAM to every core you've got. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that'll, that'll be amazing. I can see this work, you know, I can see going back to the, to the old concept of a dumb terminal. It's a slightly different concept, but you, you're basically, you're literally running um, a mouse and keyboard at your workstation and a monitor via a network cable that's running back to a server somewhere that's that's giving you your desktop. Yeah. Um, then you can't insp- install dumb shit on it. Yeah, it, it's all, it's all well, you you probably can, but... <laughs> they can lock it down better. Lock it down. <laughs> and you don't have physical access to a system. If you don't have physical access to a system, security is much easier to maintain. They don't have to pour super glue in the USB ports. Yeah, that's it exactly. Um, although, if I, <laughs> I remember a massive blackout at uh, or a massive down system down at Centrelink. Um, they had the terminals out the front where you could go for your job search and look stuff up. Yeah. But they decided to put new keyboards out, but they didn't realize all the new keyboards they put out had USB ports in the back of the keyboard. Ah. <laughs> so people were bringing in. Viruses and stuff, and uploading them onto the <laughs> onto the computers. But um, yeah, no, I I think that's going to be a fantastic system um, if they can get the chips. Yep. If they don't get uh, if they don't get um, stolen, um, oh. because we've had a truckload of GPUs stolen on their way out of San Francisco in the video, oh. so it's AMD. Uh, partner EV EVGA. Um, they avoid the warranty. <laughs> they, they basically all took all the serial numbers and went, if one of these come in for a service, just, you know, if, don't <laughs> give it to them. Then that's about all they can do. But uh, US-based NVIDIA Partners has reported final sh- that a shipment of GPUs was sending to a distributor center has been stolen <coughs> from a truck. Um, they say, please take notice that October 29, 2021, a shipment of GeForce RTX 30 series cards, which is the one shown in the picture there. They're quite a high-end card. They're four HDMI outputs, and like they're a pretty top-spec card. Uh, was tra- was stolen from a truck en route to San Francisco to our Southern California distribution center. Graphics cards are in high demand and can have a value of up to $2,000 each. Well, uh, so probably explains the US too. Yeah. So it probably explains the motivation for the crime. Uh, either somebody hopes to resell them, or a crypto miner has just got a big score, <laughs> or a bit of both. Um, they don't say how many or what sort of truck it was or anything like that. But I mean, realistically, if you think it was heading to a shipment center, let's assume it was a, a PC assembler. Yeah. 
Yep. Uh, let's just say it was a pallet. Uh, pallet's 1,200 by 1,200. And you can go usually up to like 1,200 high. So you do the math. What size? Are, and they're going to be OEM, so they probably weren't in boxes. But even if they were in boxes, the boxes, you know, that big, you're probably going to get, I don't know, a good three or 400 yep. chips on one pallet. If they're in OEM, if they're not in OEM, probably a thousand chips on one pallet. So even if it's just one pallet, that's <laughs> not a bad haul. Um, he then appears to say a trap, lay a trap of sorts by telling everybody about it, by pointing out that attempts to register products that aren't stolen um, will succeed on this page, which requires registration. Uh, they're probably smart enough to take fake details when registering. They're also smart enough to use a VPN, most likely. <coughs> Although, if they're on selling, then the person who buys them may not know about that. No. Um, they've created an email address in an attempt to find the culprits. Um, the ITX 30 range is aimed at gamers and content creators, so the heist will make it even harder to score a GPU for those who are waiting on graphics cards. Just uh, keep an eye on eBay. Yeah, pretty much. If you see a if you see a thirty, what are they? A, a RTX thirty series for like two hundred bucks, grab it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't tell anybody you've got it. Yeah. <laughs> well, somebody did grab it. Yeah. That's well, the problem, right? <laughs> that's why it's two hundred bucks. Yeah. That's that. Take it. Just don't tell anyone you've got it. <laughs> but yeah, so we're doing the whole um, we're doing the whole Fast and Furious thing now. Yep. It's um. I mean, it was a matter of time, realistically. Let's face it, like, CPUs, GPUs have been at a premium for, what, nearly two years now? Yeah. And people have been stuck at home for, what, nearly two years now? <laughs> <laughs> so. Numbers add up. Yeah. Um, it was only a matter of time for this sort of thing happened. Um, you know, it's not just GPUs that are in show. Well, but we're talking about this today. How can something like a GPU or a mainboard be having chip issues and yet things like ram and ssds are the cheapest they've ever been yeah like stupid cheap like ridiculous <laughs> cheap how you know what 68 dollars for 480 <laughs> gigs yeah and i think it, i think it was, like the two terabyte ones are like 112 bucks yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know that's nuts um so i don't really like Yes, okay, we have... I wonder if it's... I wonder if the two are related. But I wonder if there's an oversupply of, like, SSDs and memory now because people aren't buying full-on gaming systems like they were, therefore they don't need heaps of, you know, storage and massive amounts of memory, so there's an overstock of them. Could be, yeah. Because NASA's have gone up. Um, monitors have gone up. Nux. Uh, Nux, so they're stupid expensive at the moment. <laughs> um, and yet, memory, uh, spinning disks, and SSDs, and M2s have all come down. Um, even motherboards and processors have come down. Yeah. To the point where, you know, like less than $100 for a high quality um, motherboard and. Most of the like an i seven processors are starting at like one hundred and twenty bucks now. Nice. <laughs> so uh, I don't. So I can build a. I can build three quarters of a system. <laughs> just no graphics card. Just no graphics. Unless you get it on eBay for two hundred. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, but power supplies have gone up. Huh. Um. The what was I looking at? The um, I don't know what they're called. They had a 
No, it was the rip-off of the Apple bar, but they make a USB one that sits below your monitor and it's got a little icons and... Oh, right. Touch by you. Yeah, they've gone up. They're like doubled in price. Wow. Um, the Streamios, whatever they're called, the things that all the streamers use, the Blackmagic control pad things, yep. they've like tripled in price. Wow. So, I, <laughs> um, routers, modems, um, switches, man, switches have gone up. I bought a 16-port um, switch for work for the security camera, so they're um, power over Ethernet. And I had looked at it a couple months earlier when I was looking at designing the system, and the same switch was, I think it was 120 bucks. Yep. And then a couple months later, when I actually designed the system, I was buying the parts for it. It was like four hundred dollars. Wow. <laughs> so, whatever the chips are that are in short, you know, they're obviously very, very selective. Which ones? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I had a lady come in today, looking, seeing if there was anything I could do about the remote control for a Volvo because Volvo can't get replacement key fobs. Oh. Because there's none available. Because there's no chips for them, apparently. Not even Mr. Minute. So there's aftermarket ones, which is what she came to me to, to find. Yeah. Because she went to Volvo and they wanted $900 if they could find one. Um, That's what happened to me with my last car, the little Honda Jazz. They wanted like two or $300. And I just took it to a Mr. Minute and he took it out, put another one in there, and he goes $35. Yeah. <laughs> Your, the Mr. Minutes were like 300 bucks. Well, um, once again, if they could source them, yeah. Um, and I had a look on eBay for a while I was there because I don't have them, but I thought I'll have a look on eBay and see what's around. The cheapest I could find was ones that um, weren't even guaranteed to work for that vehicle. They they were compatible, but they may not work, and they were like two hundred bucks. Well, <laughs> so <laughs> even it's. Yeah. Crazy. It's so random too. It's completely and utterly random. You know, is it worth buying? As I was saying today, I feel like buying just like 10 two terabyte SSDs just to have on the shelf. It's not like they're going to deteriorate. Yeah. Just with the how cheap they are, I just buy them and sit them on the shelf and when I need one, I've got them. You know, if the price goes up, email them. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> if I had two graphics cards, I would have sold one already. Yeah. Because <laughs> I paid 700 bucks, I think, for these. I don't know. Yeah, I only paid 700 bucks for these graphics cards. Yep. And I've seen them on eBay secondhand. Ex-mining cards, they've had a much harder life than mine. Um, I've seen them for two and a half. Well. So. <laughs> profit. So I can't sell this one though because I, <laughs> I don't <have> <laughs> Kind of need it. Well, I originally wanted this system built with four of them. Yeah. I was going to have one per monitor. And he goes, you know, that's a bit of overkill. I went, yeah. Mm. And? Like, <laughs> I want this system to be overkill, like everything about it. Yep. And anyway, it didn't happen. They taught me into just getting one, which is probably a good thing because one uses like 500 watts on it. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't even know if I could have got a power supply big enough to run four of them. <laughs> but, um, uh, just quickly, uh, YouTube. Because, you know, YouTube. <laughs> They're removing the dislike count. So... Uh, they announced the dislike count of videos. Um, the decision is likely to be controversial given the extent that it impacts public's visibility into a video's reception, but YouTube has changed to better protect the creators from harassment and reduce the threat of what it calls dislike attacks, essentially when a group learns to dive up the numbers of dislike videos. 
Uh, the company says that while dislike counts won't be visible to the public, it's not removing the dislike button itself, and the counts will still be uh, visible to you, to the creator. Still be counted. Um, they'll still be visible to the creator, <clears throat> so that doesn't really matter. The funny thing is that what people don't realise, and especially in these dislike attacks that do happen uh, quite regularly, YouTube don't count, don't care whether it's a like or a dislike. It's an interaction, and they can't they assess the the feasibility of a video by the interactions on that video. So whether you, whether you like it or dislike it, it just counts as an interaction. It doesn't actually affect the outcome of that. <clears throat> I think part of it too, people think of the dislike button like they do a lot of the time. They think of it like Facebook, like you... They think that you, like, you... If, say, it's a, a video about something sad... You click dislike, not because you dislike the video, but it's kind of the opposite of being happy about it. Yeah. You know, so a lot of people don't understand how the, dis- the like and dislikes work on YouTube as opposed to like Facebook or something like that anyway. Yeah. Um, but the change follows an experiment YouTube ran earlier this year whose goal is to determine if these sorts of changes would reduce dislike attack and content <coughs> harassment. Um YouTube said it also heard from smaller creators and others who were just getting started the platform. They felt they were being unfairly targeted or dislike attacks. Um, and the experiment confirms this was true. Creators of smaller channels were often targeted by larger platform by larger. Um, they, they kind of worded this wrong here. They make it sound like a larger channel is disliking the video. It's not so much a channel. It's it's often the people who view that channel watch something because you get recommended something similar that's yep. either not as good or the content's not as good or whatever so they dislike it or sometimes a uh, content creator is with a group um uh, an interaction group who they all work together to bring up their views and bring up their their channel all their stands yeah <clears throat> and that group sometimes has been known to attack smaller channels that are infringing on their you know their territory <laughs> Uh, as if it's like a gang war thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, but yeah, so they're going to... Um, I also heard that they're going to um, get rid of the... Um, they did it a couple of years ago. They got rid of the subscriber numbers and the video counts, video views over an X amount. So yep. once a subscriber, it won't say, you know, 1 million, 1.25 million. It will just go 1 million, 2 million, 3 million for the subscribers. Oh, right. And like the views will go, you know, they'll get to like 100,000 views and it just won't go any further. It'll just stay there. Yep. Um, <laughs> but you'll see it on the back end. You'll see it on the back end, yeah. you see that stuff. But <clears throat> a lot of it's to stop people um, trying to work out people's income. Right. Um, <laughs> so an interesting quirk with YouTube, you can openly discuss, according to YouTube's terms and conditions, you can openly discuss how much money you make on YouTube as long as what you state is the accurate figures. Right. So you can say, look, that last video, I got, you know, 100,000 views. 
um, and I earned you know ten thousand dollars off that last off that last video, but I only got four thousand dollars from YouTube watches, and I got six thousand dollars from my third party sponsorship. So you've got to break. You've got to say you can't go. Oh, look, I earned you know, I earned ten grand off those last couple of videos. Yeah, you're not allowed to do that. You, break if, it down. Yeah, if you if you, it, it's a really weird policy, but I kind of get why they do it. You don't have to discuss it at all. It's completely private. So if, if, but if you are, you have to be accurate in what you're representing. Yeah. Um, which is kind of good. It, it keeps people honest. Um, and it lets... I think a lot of it was coming out with third-party advertising. You know, they might not get... Because you can have a monetized video via YouTube that also has third-party revenue made on it uh as long as you follow the guidelines um and the the third party revenue that comes from them doesn't uh doesn't clash with what youtube wants to put on ads for it um i'm not sure how they work that part out but but yeah so i thought that was an interesting thing so they're basically they're going to um yeah so that's what they're going to remove the views and they're going to remove the subscription because obviously the bigger the subscription numbers you have the higher per view revenue you get so by not making those figures public a lot of the metrics websites won't have the information required to guess what people are, are making on youtube now because people have been harassed like um they oh you make a hundred thousand bucks a year off what do you care you know what, what would you know about being broke hmm. and it's like well not necessarily. That one video might have got five hundred thousand views, and everything else has got ten thousand views. Yeah, you know, um, or you get somebody like Mr. Beast who gets twenty five million views on every video, but he also spends five million dollars on every video. So, <laughs> you know, like the one where they gave away a Lamborghini the other day. That was cool. <laughs> so yeah, but. Interesting to see if um, other platforms follow suit in this regard. Hmm. We shall see. Thanks for listening to Aussie Tech Head Show. We can be found at Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Patreon, and Coffee. Email us, Will or Warlock, at aussietechheads.com.au and go to aussietechradio.com, 24-7 back-to-back of tech playback of tech-related shows. See you next sure. time. <laughs> see ya. Oops, that's the wrong button. I've done it all again. Hang on, here we go. Let's try this again. It's raining tacos from out of the sky. Tacos, no need to ask why. Just open your mouth and close your eyes. It's raining tacos. It's raining tacos. Out in the street, tacos. All you can eat, lettuce and shells, cheese and meat. It's raining Cheese, cheese, cheese. It's raining tacos. <laughs>